Here we go. It's Monday night, and it's time for Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Action-packed show for you tonight as we start to kind of culminate the uh, college football season. The NFL season is in full swing and rocking. World Cup as well. So much to talk about. Ira is not in studio. And this show is pre-recorded, and there's a good reason for that, Ira. We taped this one on Monday uh, afternoon because you're getting ready for some football. Yeah, I'm going to head over. I can see Lucas Oil Stadium from my hotel room. We're taping this at 4.30. I'll be over there in the stadium, so by the time the show airs, so I can't wait. But I literally have about a block. I, I, there's so much construction around Indianapolis. I said, i got to get close to the stadium so I don't have any problems parking, whatever. I've been here a couple times before. Love the stadium. I was here for the national championship game between Georgia and Alabama last year. So I, can't, I love getting – of course, it's indoors, so I don't have to worry about being gold. Last two games uh, I've got on yesterday and the day before, I was outside. So this is nice dome stadium, so be comfortable. Yeah, Ira, I've never been, but on TV, it looks like one of the premier venues in, in the country, and you've obviously been a few times. Yeah, I think it looks neat. You know, I think on the outside it actually looks cool because it looks like a barn. It has that whole Indiana Hoosier basketball type of uh, look in terms of not like a round type of stadium. Uh, but it's, it's, it's very nice. There's so much development around it. I think since I was here last time, they put like five different hotels around, and you could just walk from downtown into the stadium. So it's, uh, it's convenient, and uh, tons of Steelers fans all around. So it's great for that. So we've got Colts versus Steelers coming up in, in, the, in a couple hours. And Ira, what else have you been up to this past week? Because you've been a little busy. Yeah, this has been, this has been, one of, this has been a, an epic, epic week. I mean, on Saturday I saw, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this, probably the greatest robbery in sports, Ohio State versus Michigan in Columbus. And then after that game, drove up to, to uh, Cleveland and saw the Buccaneers uh, win in overtime over the Tampa Bay. I mean, the Cleveland Browns defeat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in overtime in First Energy Stadium. And I'm here for this game today. So let's start with where we are right now in college football, because it was a little bit muddy, Ira, two weeks ago, last week. Now it's pretty clear what's going to happen here in the college football playoff. Well, I think people are still confused. I, when you turn on the ESPN, it's like, oh, there's so much. It, it just, it's relatively simple to know what's going to happen. Georgia is one. And if Georgia plays L, um, LSU in the championship game, if Georgia loses, they're still in. LSU now has three losses. They have no chance of getting in. So this game really does have much to matter. Georgia's favored by 18 points. Georgia will win this game. Another motivational thing for Georgia in this game or the SEC title game is because Georgia lost last year to Alabama. They won the national championship but lost the SEC title, which means a lot. I was there in Georgia. I'm telling you, Georgia is going to blow. You take Georgia minus the points, LSU is going to get blown out of this game. So I like Georgia. And then the second is Michigan. Michigan beat Ohio State. Michigan's 12-0, perfect season again, amazingly, you know, Jim Harbaugh, tremendous. But they played Purdue in the Big Ten championship game. They lose. They're still in. So they're still in no matter what. Um, but they're favored by 17, 18 points. They're going to blow Purdue out of that game, too. So I think that Georgia and Michigan are one, too. Now what's three and four? TCU is the third team. They're 12. They finished their season 12 and 0. They've had, we're going to go through, I'm going to go through the resume in a second, but they've had a lot of close losses, but they're still undefeated. They're a Power Five conference. They're a third, but they have a tough matchup in the Big 12 championship game against Kansas State. They're only a two point favorite in that game. Kansas State was leading by 18 points late in the third quarter when they played earlier in the year. So people think, oh, TCU, they're in. But if they lose, they're out. So I think they, they have no shot if, they're, if, they, if they lose. So they have to win to get that third seed. And the fourth seed is USC. USC beat Notre Dame. They look good doing it. They're now 11-1. and one. They had one loss on the year. But guess who their one loss was to? Utah, the same team they're going to play in the Pac-12 championship game <laughs> Friday night in Las Vegas. So, but if both of those teams win, they're in. 
But I think at least one of those two teams is going to lose. And if one of those teams, or maybe both, if one of those loses, Ohio State's going to sit at five, and Ohio State, I think, slides in there into the fourth position. And if both lose, I think Alabama, which is not playing. Ohio State and Alabama, their seasons are done. I think with two losses, Alabama has two losses. Uh, Ohio State has that one loss, but I think that's what would happen. I don't see, with the loss the way that Ohio State lost, them jumping. If TCU wins and uh, USC wins, I don't see Ohio State jumping into that. If people might say, well, that's, that's why, because they have one loss and USC have a loss, but USC would, would, one have, would have won a conference championship. Um, they would be coming off a victory. I think that puts them ahead of an Ohio State team. But I think that, I'm telling you, I've seen enough of this in football my whole life. I think TCU or USC or both is going to lose this weekend. And I still, I would predict that Ohio State's going to be in the uh, college football playoff. Yeah, TS- TCU has been winning very close games. <laughs> Some other teams haven't. If they did both lose, you, you're, you're thinking Bama over Tennessee. Granted, Tennessee has two losses, one of them really, really, really bad in the last week. I think that I think Alabama would get in. I know Tennessee lost, or Alabama lost in the last second to Tennessee, and then they lost to LSU on a last second play. Um, they lost at Tennessee in the game. I think Bama gets in. Uh, Hooker, the star quarterback for Tennessee, is hurt, is out. Uh, I, I would, I, I think Alabama would get in over Tennessee. And what about Penn State? You know, Penn State's the one team. You know, my team. You know, they had two losses, too, only to Michigan, Ohio State. But I really think it would probably be Bama if they both lost. But that. I mean, you know, you're going to, if TCU loses, then you got USC, Michigan, and Georgia, and, and Ohio State. That's a, four of the premier teams. But also remember, USC in a couple of years is coming to the Big Ten. So you literally could have three Big Ten teams against Georgia in the national, in the college football playoffs. So that's a, a, an interesting note the fact that USC in a couple of years will be playing in the Big Ten. Yeah, not how the SEC drew that one up at the beginning of the day, only getting one team in. So let's talk about where you were Michigan and Ohio State. And you know, you said this is one of the biggest rivalries in college football, and it really is. And for a long time, Ohio State had the best of Michigan, but now this is two years in a row that Harbaugh, Harbaugh took down Ohio State. I mean, after losing, you know, for five straight years, you know, against against Ohio State, everyone was saying Harbaugh's done. He's finished. He's, he, there's no way he can stay. You know, he had to take a cut in pay of his contract. You know, he can't win. He can't beat Ohio State. He can't beat uh, Urban Meyer. You know, all those things that they said about about. Jim Harbaugh, and he really just turned it on the last two years. Now, last year, what happened last year is they won. They won in Michigan. They finally were able to beat Ohio State. And then, but Ohio State the whole year was saying, well, it was at Michigan. We had injuries. We had this. And Jim Harbaugh brought his father, John Harbaugh, who was a former coach in his own San Jose State, other teams, into, I think, the final walkthrough they had. And Harbaugh comes and he says, I want to tell you a story about Muhammad Ali and Cassius Clay. When Muhammad Ali changed his name from, from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali, he was fighting another fighter. And the fighter during the press conference kept referring to him as Cassius Clay. And Muhammad said, no, refer to me as Muhammad Ali. That's my name. And he goes, I'm going to call you whatever I want to call you. And, uh, and then so Muhammad Ali, when he fought him in the fight, kept, was, you know, did, could have knocked him out. But did about because he says he didn't respect me and I wanted him to say so the whole fight you could have say say my name say my name and he goes and he said to the Michigan players he said he goes Ohio State you beat them last year but they don't respect you when you beat them this year make sure that they start that they respect you and I think that's what happened and when you watch that game that's exactly what Michigan did to Ohio State they went into an atmosphere at Ohio Ohio State had not had not lost a Big Ten game in eight years in the horseshoe I, I was at the atmosphere I mean that is just I mean it is it was unbelievable to be there and it was a great great win for Michigan to come in. And it was an epic win that people will talk about from year, for, for, for decades after this game. Yeah, the defense in the second half was something else. We'll talk about the game. But first, let's talk about before the game, because like you said, I'm sure that the, they were going all out getting ready for this one. Yep. 
Yeah, it was so cool. I got into the Columbus the night before. Um, I was uh, I went to this AC hotel. They had uh, mostly Ohio State fans, of course, there. But you know, Columbus is different. I've been there for Penn State games. It's a city. It's not a college town, and so there is the college aspect. But there is tons of restaurants, tons of hotels. It's it's a, it's a it's the capital of Ohio. So it's a, it's a city. And so it's pretty cool to just. But it is just totally. You know, everyone. This game has such an importance. When we talked about the best rivalries in sports. Duke Carolina basketball. I mean, I went to Duke. I mean, it's like that's all they talk about. You know, Carolina could be 0-27, but they beat Duke at Duke Carolina. That's all that matters. You know, that's, that's at that level. And I think Auburn, Alabama have been there, you know, seen everything with that, not been to the Iron Bowl, but have been to Auburn for a game and Alabama for a game. That is up at that level with Michigan, Ohio State. And there's next tiers like Florida State, Florida, USC, UCLA. But I really think that in college football, and then Ohio State, Oklahoma, uh, Texas would be in that level that next year. But I think in the tippy-top tier is Auburn, Alabama, and Michigan, Ohio State, and Duke, Carolina. But it was so cool. I went to this steakhouse called Jeff Ruby Steakhouse, and we're in a special, like, sort of private room with a group of people. And, uh, and there's, like, four tables, and I'm sitting there. And on the menu, it's, like, the Herb Street whatever. Now, this is a high-end steakhouse, so it's not, like, for, like, five bucks, a Herb Street, like, steak or whatever. <laughs> and sitting at the table next to us comes in is Pat McAfee. So everyone knows from the Back McAfee Show, ESPN, you know, so he comes in with A.J. Hawk and a whole crew of other people. And then Herb Street comes in. So he's, they're sitting at the table right next to me. We're sitting at our table. And then the Shotzenstein family that owns, like, you know, has the Shotzenstein Center and all the different donations, one of the biggest givers to Ohio State is at the other table. So it was pretty cool to be in that room. And then Cardell Jones, a former Ohio State uh, quarterback who was uh, one of the stars at Ohio State who was in the national championship game when they won, he came in, was, like, you know, shaking hands with people and stuff like that. So it really was cool to get the whole vibe of the whole of everything. So that was like the night before. I get to sleep and I, I mean, you don't want to go out because then my friend's son was going to visit DJ, is a big college DJ besides going to the University of Nevada. So he was going to play at a fraternity house. But this is not like playing at a fraternity house for like 34 people. They put two fraternity houses, had this humongous field. There was like two to 3,000 people at this party before the game. And guess what time they started partying? Like I got there at 7 a.m., 7 a.m., and it's packed. And it was unbelievable. Like, did people sleep? Are they not whatever? I mean, these are college kids asking to get at 7 a.m. And everyone was going crazy. The town was alive at 7.30, 8, all that other stuff. And, the uh, you know, it was so cool to be there and see, you know, just the atmosphere and everything around the campus. Because, again, it's, it, it's sort of like the city that bleeds into the campus with everything. And then just walk, you know, walk to the stadium, walk through the tailgates, go into the stadium. And then you get the whole thing about, you know, like there is so much that goes on before the game. When the Ohio State band marches down, then they put the Ohio script and then the trombone player dots the eye, which is a big thing. And then Brutus, the, the mascot, and the drum major comes out. And it's like, you know, I go to Penn State to see all this, but there was tons of ceremony, tons of everything. It was it was so cool. I missed the uh, time when the, the team walks in. We got there a little late, so I missed that aspect of it. But it was just just an electric, electric atmosphere. Fans were loud. They know this game was important. I mean, literally, people talk about this game the moment the other game. They're talking next year, like right now after this game is over, people are talking about next year's game. That's how much buildup. And they don't refer to the team. One is Ohio State calls them the team up. And, and Michigan calls them the team downtown. Like, they don't refer by each other's names. The absolute hatred between these schools is just tremendous. But it's not just that. And it, and it feeds. I mean, there's sometimes the fans, like you say, Red Sox and Yankees don't like each other. But the players, they go from back and forth. But really, Ohio State and Michigan, these players, it is, it is a huge. Like, you're either Ohio State or Michigan. You're not straddling any fence whatsoever between the two of them. So that was just so cool to be on there. And I, I, something I've never seen before is they actually were so nervous that there's something before the game, the 
the police were lining the field on the 50, flocking you know, down, down the 50-yard line. So the players, they didn't want any chance to enter any interaction, anyone yelling, everything like that. And the weather was perfect. It was great, like 55 and, and really nice. It was senior day, so you had the seniors come out. And you know, with the COVID, there was a lot of seniors that had left the team that Ohio State said you could come back for, for other reasons, so that was so cool. But uh, um, you know, as I said, this was Harbaugh had an eight-game losing streak in this game, snapped it last year, and now he has a two-game winning streak. And Ryan Day is the only coach that could go 24-2 and two over the last two years, and they're saying we have to fire him because he lost the two to Michigan. And the, after the game, you know, when they have the local news that comes on like late at night, you would have thought, and I don't want to say you know, anything that would be whatever, but the fact is if it was a natural disaster, it was at that level. I mean, even the weather forecaster was like saying this is a very sad day in Columbus. This is awful. This is terrible. Like they were, it's like, does Ryan, the headline is, does Ryan, is Ryan, was that, did Ryan Day coach his last? game. So the only way can you be Ryan Day and be 24 and 2 in two years and have won everything and said, have you coached your last game? It, it's kind of like the Marty Schottenheimer getting fired after going 14 and 2. It's like unbelievable that something like that can happen. But he is on the hot seat right now. I'm not going to be surprised if he does get canned. I don't think he will. But let's talk about the game itself because Michigan had been a very, they've been a run first team pretty much all season. This was their bread and butter. And they really changed that up in this game. Yeah, I mean, the weird thing about this game, one last thing I forgot is that, remember, two years ago, Michigan was supposed to be at Ohio State. The game was canceled because of COVID. So this was the first game in four years that was there. So that added everything to it. Remember, J.J. McCarthy, their quarterback, his longest pass all year was 42 yards. Against Ohio State, he had a passes of 69, 75, and 45 yards. Crazy. C.J. Stroud was like, this was the coronation of C.J. Stroud. This was supposed to be the game that he came in and won the Heisman Trophy. He's going to play great. They were missing Trayvon Henderson, one of the running backs, and they were missing Jenga Smith, uh, one of their other wide receivers. But they had Marvin Harrison, who's considered the best wide receiver in the country. They had Mayan Williams, uh, the running back, came back for this game. But the issue, the big question coming in the game was Blake Corum, the Heisman Trophy candidate for Michigan, their star running back. Would he play? Would he not play? He played one series, sort of like a Willis Reed type thing of making it go for it, but really didn't make much of a difference in that game. And his backup, Donovan Edwards, certainly did. But that was sort of like, you know, what, and remember, I wanted to add one other thing about this. I saw both these teams play against Penn State. Michigan destroyed Penn State. Ohio State was, uh, Penn State, that was at Michigan. But at, at, uh, at uh, Penn, when Ohio State went to Penn State, Penn State was in that game until the end when Ohio State, you know, was, just totally blew them out in the fourth quarter. But the point was that I felt that Michigan overall could was a better team, but Ohio State had that gear that Michigan didn't have. But how this game played out was, you know, what was just was just shocking. And, and I'll, I'll just start like right from the from the, the start. Ohio State got the ball, twelve play, eighty one yard drive. It was a mix of passing and running. They marched the whole way down there. You looked at Michigan's defensive line, you're like, they're never going to be able to stop Ohio State. Ohio State can do whatever they want. This is unbelievable. They were just running down and doing everything. And I said, uh, and then Ohio State scores a touchdown. You're like, okay, 7 nothing. Michigan gets a field goal, you know, 44 yards. Ohio State comes back down, same thing again. They get down first and 10 on the 15. And I'm like, you know, put this game away if you're Ohio State. But then they only got a field goal out of that. You know, they made some stupid plays. They, you know, they're just sloppy. And that sloppiness came back. So they're up 10-3. But everyone's like, you know, all excited. Like, we're up 10-3. Michigan, because then Michigan goes three and out. And Ronnie Bell, their star wide receiver, drops a pass. So you're really not getting any sense that this is, you know, whatever, that Michigan could actually win this game. Ohio State gets fourth and two on the Michigan 34. They go for it. You know, I thought it was, they had a weird play where they, they threw to their tight end. He dropped the ball. It was a bad pass. Michigan gets the ball back. 
and you're like, wow, you know, but still they punted and Ohio State punted and the game's going through in the end of the first quarter and it's 10-3. But the sense was, wow, Michigan had run like five plays. They had game, you know, got the one field goal, but whatever. You felt Ohio State had this game totally in control. And then Michigan was, staying, Michigan was on 38 on their own 31. And he, they throw a pass to uh, J.J. McCarthy throws to Cornelius Johnson. It was like a 10-yard pass. He breaks a tackle and then runs into the touchdown, like right in front of me where I was sitting. I couldn't believe he was running. And I, I'm going to say this. Ohio State gave up six big plays and the five big plays in this game. On many of these plays, their players did not come and try to knock them out. Like you can't just catch a ball on the side. Just stop. Have, you know, really come to a stop and have no other safety or anybody come up. And my friends are like, well, they were trying to stop the run. But still, you have their secondary has 4-2, 4-3, 4-4 cornerbacks and safeties. They've got to run over, at least knock the guy out of bounds. And they did it. And he ran in for a touchdown. So it was 10-10. And then, uh, and, then, and, then, and then it was 10-10. And then Ohio State hit the field goal. Again, it was like 13-10. But still, these are chances like Ohio State should be up like 28-3. Like they're just messing around with this. And then Michigan gets the ball back on their first play. It's like, you know, when I'm trying to get my videos, like I want to get a video with a touchdown. McCarthy's was the Cornelius Johnson, 75 yards. So remember, I said that McCarthy hadn't thrown a ball more than 40 yards for 75-yard touchdown. You know, it was unbelievable. So they had on two possessions, a 75 and a 16-yard pass. They're up 17-13. And the Ohio State fans are like, what is going on here? Like, this is the craziest thing. But, you know, Ohio State goes back down. They, you know, they score. Michigan's defense doesn't look like they can stop them. And they actually, that sort of like motivated them. And then they threw a uh, pass to Marvin Harrison, made it 2017. So like in the first half, the, 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 the stats, I mean, Ohio State had 124 yards rushing, Michigan had 10. They had 191 yards passing. Michigan had 204, but like almost all of those were in those two passes. And they had 16 first downs to Michigan's four, but they're only up 20 to 17. So like, you're like, but still the Ohio State fans were like, you know what, we have this game. I'm like, I think that Michigan's going to make some adjustments. Like, I've got, I've, if I'm Ohio State, I said it happened. Like, I'd be nervous going in, you know, for that second half. Well, let's talk about the second half. By the way, it's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Um, the second half was, you know, Michigan just looked, I don't know, like you said, you said another gear, and that's kind of what we saw here. Right. I mean, Michigan, uh, you know, they drove down, they, uh, they went on fourth and one, they went for it. And then McCarthy throws, uh, J.J. McCarthy threw a pass that Colston Lovelace, this crazy play, another 45-yard pass. So again, it's like these big passes. And I'm like, you've got, like, when he was running down, Lovelace is not one of the fastest runners. Nobody knocked him, like, nobody knocked him out of bounds. I mean, you watch enough football to know, like in high school football, you see that superstar wide receiver running back that breaks through the line, just run, just faster than everybody else. But in this case, you know, Ohio State, I just, I'm going to say it, their players were lazy. Like I, there were a couple of plays where I saw another player and they just like, okay, let the guy run. Like what, like, you know, was there a penalty call? Did they stop? Did they blow a whistle? Like you have to knock these people out because I'm going to tell you the one instance where they did it, Michigan did it and hold them to a field goal. You can't just let someone run in for a touchdown. That was ridiculous. So now they're up 24, 20 Ohio State punts, Michigan get punched. And then the key series of the game, Ohio State's down 24-20. They're driving first and 10 on Michigan's 48. They're like, it's the middle of the third quarter. We got this game under control. We're going to, we're losing, but we're going to do it. They threw a 20 yard pass to Trayman, but there was a holding. But after the holding, there was also an unsportsmanlike conduct because one of Ohio State players headbutted one of the Michigan players right in front of the referee. Like, right in the referee headbutts him. Like, what are you thinking? Like, it was going to So suddenly, it, instead of being on, like, the 30 and 25-yard, the 25-yard line of Michigan set to score a touchdown, you're now first and 35 on your 0-27. It was like a 50-yard penalty almost between the two of them, and Ohio State had to punt the ball. And then Michigan then goes on a 15-play, 81-yard drive. And this is where J.J. McCarthy, why he'll never have to buy a beer, if they always use that term, never have to buy a beer in Ann Arbor ever again. The rest of his life, he 
just would run the ball. He would like had a five yard run, nine yard run, they had a, a, a trick play with a tight end for 15 yards. They went the whole way down, start the fourth quarter, and they're in it right at the end zone. And then, you know, again, Ohio State's like, we can't give up the touchdown. We'll go down 11. We're going to, so they tried and tried. Finally, on third down, McCarthy goes and just says, I'm going to run it myself. And he ran right into that. And in the play before, when he almost got sacked, he was like running around, like, I'm not going to get sacked. Like, his, his drive to score that, that touchdown and, and, and that whole drive was just that 15 play 81 yard drive. It took eight minutes. That was it. And they go, that takes him up 31, 31, 20. And then, uh, uh, and then Ohio state goes three and out. Like I just couldn't believe Ohio state didn't respond at that point. Michigan tried a 57 yard field goal, which was, which was terrible. And then Ohio state goes, uh, throws, they had a third and eight on their own 41. They threw this 44 yard pass. That's what I talked about. And as a guy, as a Buka is running in for the end zone, one of the Michigan players knocks him out of bounds. And then what happens is Ohio State has to settle for a field goal just to cut it to 31. A smart move to settle for a field goal, cut it to a one-score game, 31-23. But the point is that he should have scored, but the Michigan player ran over and knocked it out and saved it. But then on the next play, Donovan Edwards hands the ball, 75-yard touchdown run. 75, like, untouched, but it was to the short side of the field. Like, it was crazy. Like, you don't – like, I can't believe nobody knocked him out. No one caught him. He's not the fastest runner in the world, but he ran 75 yards. Then Ohio State drove down through an interception. And the next play after that, Edwards, a 79-yard touchdown run, making it 45-23. So it was like those three big pass plays that were touchdowns and then the two big run plays by Edwards. In the second half, Michigan had 252, 252 yards for the game rushing, but almost 220 of them were in the second half. Edwards had 200 yards uh, rushing for the game. Um, Ohio State, I think the nine penalties for 91 yards, stupid penalties all over the place. And, uh, and it, that was you know, one of the key things. I mean, C.J. Stroud, 31 for 48, 349 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, but no chance to win the Heisman now. He could come up at home and win this big game. And uh, then after the game's over, the Michigan players went and planted the flag, which, you know, Ohio State's not happy about that, I'm sure. And we'll hear about that forever. But the, uh, it, it, was, it was one of those games where the defense, the thing that the Ohio, Michigan defense held Ohio State to three points in the second half and just had big play after big play after big play. Something we thought Ohio State was going to do to Michigan, that's what they did to Ohio State. And that's why Michigan had that, is going to have that epic. Why this win is epic. I mean, those, those long runs, those, you know, they just literally made Ohio State quit. The planting of the flag, as you said, is going to live in, live in infamy in Columbus for sure for years to come. Yeah, and I want to add one more thing. The, the Ohio State, the stories coming out of it were amazing. Their, Ohio State had recruits there at the game that they brought in recruits. When Michigan beat them, a number of people who were there that were recruits pledged their, you know, said, I'm going to go to Michigan. That's really <laughs> embarrassing to have, you know, for Ohio State because the pride, like, I think it's hard for people to understand something when you're at Columbus. Ohio State fans think very, very highly of their team. They think highly of Ohio State, like very highly, like almost to the point of they can't imagine. They don't understand why they don't win every single national championship. So it's sort of like Alabama fans or whatever. But they, you know, they won. For, but, you know, they, it's, it was, this was a, de- and, you know, of course the fans were, you know, they're yelling, they're one day fired. I mean, how could this happen? This is the worst thing in the world. So this is really, it was, it was a very, very, weird ending to a game, and especially when you see, I always talk about when you're at the opposing team, when you see a victory, when the Cavaliers beat um, uh, when, the, when the, um, the Warriors in game seven on Kyrie Irving shot, LeBron's block, and when the arena just gets quiet like that, and I was, you know, was there when Michael Jordan had the last shot against Utah in the Delta Center in Salt Lake. Like, it is weird to be in a stadium when the home team loses a huge, epic game, but it, it does have that feel where the fans are either, they're mad, they're crying, or they're just upset. 
uh, what, like you painted a great picture by saying like the weatherman is saying the world's over the next day. Like that, that's how they get into it. You got to respect it. I mean, they're, they're definitely diehard fans and they're probably on the outside looking into the playoff uh, as we stand right now. I run sports troll these channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, Georgia and Georgia tech. No question here. Really? It looks like uh, we know Georgia's going in as the number one. Georgia's going to be number one. Stetson Bennett, you know, it's weird. This year, he's their quarterback. He, last year, he had 29 touchdowns and seven interceptions. This year, 16 and six. This game was close. It was 10-7 at halftime. But Georgia, it seems like this whole year, they just turn it on at the end. And they did. I don't think they had the year that they had last year in terms of their victories. I mean, they beat, uh, they beat Oregon earlier and had that, you know, the 49-3. And South Carolina, Missouri, Auburn, Vanderbilt, Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Stanford and Kent State, really the only close game was Missouri, was their only sort of close game. But, you know, they're, they're, their defense isn't what the defense was. They have, like, who's their, you know, they run the ball. Like, well, who's their star running back? They, have, they had 41 carries, eight different uh, players carried the ball. They had 264 total yards to 40 for Georgia Tech. They just, you know, Kenny McIntosh is a good running back for them. DeJuan Edwards really had 600 yards for the year. DeJuan Edwards had 600 yards for the year. It's like running back by super committee, not just, you know, the NFL running back by committee. Georgia, and Seth and Bennett is, you know, the classic game manager with the great defense, and that's what Georgia does. And they did that last year. And the advantage I think they had this year is that last year they played Alabama in the SEC championship game. That's played LSU this year, which is going to be a much easier victory for them. And then they, you know, so they, they but the idea is that Georgia is now going to go for back-to-back national championships, which is, which is, uh, you know, pretty, pretty amazing. But uh, uh, I, I got to give one question to Georgia Tech. That, uh, their coach key came in, uh, did a great job this year. They, he played, he was played at Alabama or was a coach at Alabama. He coached under Georgia Tech, was from Georgia Tech. And, and Georgia Tech was like, oh, and five was terrible. And he was, his name's Brett Keyes. Four and four after Jeff Collins was fired. They beat Pitt. They beat UNC. I'd like to see him get the, the permanent job. I thought he did a fantastic job at Georgia Tech. You know, walking into a season where it was like totally going awry and like making it a 500 team. So TCU versus Iowa State, you thought this might be a trap game for TCU. They didn't They didn't listen to Iron Sports apparently because they didn't feel that way. And Max Duggan, not going to win the Heisman Trophy, but he's going to got to get some of the, you know, top five consideration here. He's had a good season. Yeah, great season. I mean, TCU, they finally had an easy game. I mean, that TCU was an expert at these close games. Now, what's the question why people don't respect TCU? Their non-conference wins were Tarleton, which I haven't heard about, Colorado, which is the worst team in the Big 12, not, and the, which is the Pac-12, and SMU. Um, they beat their games. They beat Kansas 38-31, Oklahoma State 43-40 in two overtimes. Kansas State, they beat them 38-28 when they were down 18 points. They beat West Virginia by 10, Texas Tech barely when they were losing that game. Texas only beat by seven, and Baylor, they won on the last play of the game. I mean, it seems like every single game, they could have had a 500 record. So, as I said, this is uh, Kansas State was 9-3. and They beat Kansas to get into this game. So, Kansas State will now have a rematch against GCU. Um, and, as I said, the line is only two points. And we'll see. Kansas State's a very good team. They lost to Tulane. That's, of course, TCU. And they lost to Texas. So, I'm excited with this. But uh, Iowa State just cannot – you know, they couldn't mount anything against them. It, it, Iowa State went up 34-7 at halftime uh, and just rolled, you know, to 62-14 victory. And it's the first undefeated season of the Big 12 since 2009. Notre Dame and USC. A lot of people thought uh, Notre Dame might be in here to upset the apple cart for USC. Not the case. And once again, Caleb Williams, uh, he didn't have his flashiest game, but I think a lot of people have cemented him as the Heisman Trophy winner. You know, his stats are, you know, it's one funny. I watched the game and you, when you watch the game, you're like, he wants to see just won the Heisman Trophy. You just want it. Like you watch the game. 
look at his stats because I wasn't really looking at his stats. It was like 18 for 22, 232 yards, one touchdown, zero interception, nine rushes, 35 yards, but three touchdowns. But when you're watching the game, he totally dominated the game. There were amazing plays after amazing plays. Remember, he was the quarterback at Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley took him and some players in Oklahoma and other tra- recruits and transfers and everything to USC uh, to the, for this. And uh, USC, it was a weird game. They went up 10-0 on Notre Dame. They were 17-7 at halftime and sort of kept that 10-point advantage almost the entire time. Drew Pine for Notre Dame, their quarterback, played well. Of course, everybody plays well against uh, uh, USC's defense, which is just terrible. And their tight end, Michael Mayer, Meyer, is going to be a great pro. He's tremendous. But uh, Notre Dame had 408 yards for the game, and USC had 436, but this could not – yeah, just couldn't do it. Couldn't couldn't get you know that ten point spot they they spotted them just couldn't you know make up the difference. Uh, USC this year they beat Rice and Fresno State in the non-conference and then Notre Dame. You know they beat Stanford, Arizona State, Colorado, Washington State, but they had a they almost lost to Oregon State by they won by three. They beat Arizona by eight. Arizona is one of the worst teams in the country. Beat Cal by six, and then we saw last week they barely beat UCLA by three. And they lost to Utah. So I mean they've had their had their chances of, of of losing this year, but now they're set to go play Utah in the uh, in the Pac-12 championship game on. Friday. Friday night. Uh, so, I mean, they're only a couple point favorite in that game. So it, I, I think I said Utah beat them already. And I know that was game was at Utah, those things. And USC's playing really well right now, but uh, um, I can't wait to see it. It's a, it's a Friday night game. If USC wins that, they're going to be in the, in the playoffs. LSU had been kind of mounting a nice little season here and then uh, wheels starting to fall off, lost to Texas A&M. Yeah. I mean, this is crazy. LSU had two losses and everyone said, uh, you know, they had lost to Florida State and Tennessee. But because they beat Alabama, they were, they were said in Florida State losses earlier in the year. If they went out, they would be in the playoffs. And they go to Texas A&M as a 10-point underdog. And Texas A&M is terrible. It's sort of 4-7 going into the game. I like this game so much. Texas A&M is young. Like, you look at teams that are young, that are getting better as the year goes on and are improving. And I know this has been the worst washed year, but you, I just could tell that Texas A&M was going to try. I thought they were going to win. I mean, I really did. And, and it was, they had 93,000 fans at the game. I'm going to give the A&M fans credit for showing up for a team that you know, wasn't playing that well. 17-10 A&M at halftime. LSU scores to make it 17-7, 17-7. And then they fumble the ball. A&M gets it score on a pick and score and the scoop and score makes it that. And then suddenly they blow them out. It was 38-23. But uh, big win for, for A&M. But bad loss because what it is, is, even if LSU now beats Georgia with three losses, they're not getting in the playoffs. So that makes the SEC, you know, it's like it takes sort of the drama out of it because, you know, you know Georgia, I think, is going to win. But there's no drama anyway because the line is, is so high. But I, I'll still be at that game. But LSU really missed a chance to say, oh, let's, let's win this game and, and then pull this big upset. But they definitely were looking – they definitely looked past Texas a What happened with uh, Clemson and South Carolina? One of the best games. I wasn't at that game. I'm hearing it. People are telling me what's going on. I'm falling a little on the computer. But that was a tremendous – South Carolina, Shane Beamer is their coach. Uh, it's just what a what a year the final two games. I mean, to beat Tennessee and then to beat Clemson on back to back weeks. They upset Tennessee sixty three thirty eight last week. Spencer Rattler had four hundred thirty eight yards and six touchdowns. We just talked about Caleb Williams. Remember, he he was the quarterback of Oklahoma last year. Caleb Williams took the job from Spencer Rattler. Rattler transfers out, goes to South Carolina, had an up and down year. And Clemson was a 10, 12-point favorite in this game, but uh, did not play well. They were leading 30-21, uh, to 21, rather through a 70-yard touchdown pass. Clemson went through and out. South Carolina took a made a field goal. And then Clemson had three series at the end of the game and gained 15 yards. 15 yards and weren't able to score uh, and lose. And now they're, they have no shot. With the two losses, even if they won the ACC title against North Carolina next week, which had lost also, they have three losses. They're seven-and-a-half-point favorites. Really, the ACC championship game is you know, sort of meaningless because Clemson would have no shot to get into it, into the game. D.J. Ungale, 
boy, another terrible game for him. His eight for 29, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, Clemson has got to get a quarter, the quarterback situation uh, straightened out there because DJ just did not do well this year. And, and I know saying 10 and 2 didn't do well, but they struggled in a lot of games. And, and that's not where remember Clemson's won two national teams in the last nine years, and now they're not even going to make the playoffs. Yeah, a lot of people had DJ uh, Pone as the heir apparent to trade tra- Trevor Lawrence. Not the case so far in his college career. Moving to the SEC, the Iron Bowl, Ira, you said you, this is one you'd love to attend. You've been to both schools, uh, you know, taking games, Auburn and Alabama. Well, Alabama's had this great year, 10-2. and two. Um, they, they won 49-27. The takeaway from this game really is that Alabama's defense is not – going into the season, people thought Alabama's defense would be great. It really, Will Anderson is going to be one of the top picks. He's like – people think the next Micah Parsons, per se, uh, in the NFL draft, the linebacker that can do everything, sack the quarterback. But their defense just did not play well. And they and Bryce Young played – you know, he was the Heisman Trophy winner last year, 20 for 30, 343 yards, three touchdowns, probably will go pro. That'll be his last uh, a game, probably college game, unless they get into the playoffs. And but Alabama just a different you know it was a difficult year for them they they had some tough games against Texas they won by one A and M by by four they lost to Tennessee in the final play of the game they lost to LSU by the final play of the game otherwise they'd be in in the uh, uh, in the playoffs and Auburn and I was there at the game when they lost to Penn State uh, when they and it was great atmosphere Brian Harson couldn't even make it through his second year as a as a coach who's from the former Boise State coach but they just hired today Hugh Freeze. So Hugh Freeze is known for being at Mississippi, was a great coach there, one but had a lot of problems with was, uh, probation and all those things. They fired him at Mississippi. He went to Liberty and was beating everybody at Liberty, turned Liberty into this power where they're upsetting SEC schools, and now Hugh Freeze is going to be the Auburn coach. People thought it could be Lane Kiffin from Mississippi. He turned that down. But and this is a job that is, you know, they fired uh, Gene Chizik. He won the national championship, and they fired him. So it's a tough job to have. But, uh, but anyway, Bama wins back at Iron Bowl. 49 to 27. So a lot of people, Ira, thought that Vanderbilt had a real shot against Tennessee. Maybe because they're coming off two SEC wins. Tennessee doesn't have their starting quarterback, but never the case in this game. You know, Tennessee blows them out 56 nothing. And the one I want to mention about this game was that Joe Milton the third. We talk about because I think what the storyline that people are missing about this is the transfer of the quarterback. And there's other players too, but the quarterbacks we did. Joe Milton was the quarterback at Michigan two years ago. So we're like we're talking about JJ McCarthy and Kate McNamara, who's now announced today the quarterback last year for Michigan is transferring out to somewhere. So he might go somewhere. So we keep looking at these schools like, wait, do, did I remember Joe Milton? Like. Did, did he have a brother that played in Michigan? No, he was the one who played in Michigan. Plus, you're allowed to transfer without sitting out. You can play now six years of football. So you're seeing these players just play around. So he, so Hendon Hooker, the star Tennessee quarterback, injured towards ACL last week, uh, two weeks ago. And then now Joe Milton stepped in and had a big win. But I, that's all sort of the mentioning this Tennessee game being 10-2. and two. Um, And also, you know, Josh Heupel has the team head in the right direction. Finally, Tennessee, you know, they were number one for about five, six weeks in the year. So that's pretty impressive to have Tennessee. And I, I don't think they'll be playing – certainly not in the college football playoff, but they maybe maybe will get a New Year's Six Bowl. No, for sure. Things are looking up in Knoxville. Those fans have to be happy with the season that they had. You mentioned Lane Kiffin before. He's going to stay at Ole Miss, and they face off against Mississippi State. Yeah, they ended up losing 24-22 to Mississippi State, but Kiffin decided to stay. You know, I, I thought that I thought the rumors of him going to Auburn. I just don't think Auburn was that much a better school than Mississippi. No. I just I, I think if Lane Kiffin's going to go somewhere, maybe he keeps winning Mississippi and he'll get the he'll take the Bama job or something like that. Like I just didn't think that Auburn, with all the pressure that Auburn has, with everything that goes with it and the expectations, like they have almost like the Ohio State expectations, but they don't like it's just too high. And I just think it I think it was a smart move to stay. I like stay. Like he's one who's bounced around 
around. He's at Tennessee one year, jumps to USC, you know, goes. He's he was at the Raiders. You know, he's someone who, who who either gets fired or or moves around. And I think this was a smart move, not just taking a job that was sort of a sideways move. So I thought it was smart to stay there. But he finished the year at 80, 84, uh, eight, eight and four uh, for, for for Mississippi. I mean, that's it's, they call the egg bowl between Mississippi and Mississippi State. Uh, I'm with you. It's a lateral move with a lot more pressure. I'll, I'll, stay, I'll stay at Old Miss. Um, Florida had a really disappointing season, but FSU. You got to be pretty happy if you're a Seminoles fan with how they played, and they looked about pretty good beating uh, beating Florida here in their final game of the season. Yeah, you know what? Florida State had this year that was, you know, they beat LSU early, but then they, you know, so you thought you got excited. Then they had these three weeks in a row they lost to Wake Forest, NC State, and Clemson. You're like, what's happening to Florida State? But they end up finishing out winning against Miami, Syracuse. And now Florida, so they beat both. Yeah, so you're looking at the end of the year. Florida had a great year. I mean, it's a weird year, but they're not in the title game because they because of the loss to North Carolina. You know, the loss to the ACC, they can't play in the ACC championship game. But I think as for Jim Norvell and the people at, at Florida State, you got to feel confident, especially because you win a tough game against Florida, you blew out Miami, and uh, so I think and all in all, that was. It's it, at least I think Florida has question marks. I mean, that's one. But Napier, you know, their coach. It just it just seemed like it just tough losses throughout the whole year. They lost a lot of close games. Uh, we'll see what happens. I think there I think there is concern in Gainesville, but I think in Tallahassee there's there's optimism. And Jordan Travis of FSU had a monster game, great season. I don't know if you know this, Ira. He went to Palm Beach Gardens High School, about a block from the station. So a little Palm Beach Gardens, that Palm Beach County reference here, um, going to Florida State and succeeding there. Uh, we only have about twenty minutes left here on Iron Sports Trolley's channel. What, you want to wrap up the SEC? Anything we need to know? Um, no, really. What I just I think I think the key. This I was just going to just summarize a couple of teams. I think that when you look at a team like South Carolina and Kentucky, you know, and even Missouri, you know, I think you're starting to see that you know the competition in the SEC is just tremendous. I mean, Vanderbilt even had two wins. So it's you know we always say it's tough in the SEC, but it's like you know these teams that at the end of the year like the six and sixes, the eight and four, seven five, they're good. I mean, it's tough, and that's why it's it's difficult when you see a Georgia go through undefeated. That's really hard to do. Moving to the ACC, I don't know if there was a more disappointing season of anybody than Miami. And I know it's the first season for Mario Cristobal. He's going to get, you know, obviously more chances down the road, but another bad loss to Pitt. I mean, I, I think Miami can define, I mean, the, the stats were unbelievable. They, they lost to Pitt. They were down 28 nothing at halftime. Pitt had almost 500 yards compared to Miami's 385 yards. Miami, every year, every game, it seems like is hitting the 100-yard mark for penalties. I mean, Miami beat Bethune-Cookman and Southern Mississippi. Everybody got excited. They lost Texas A&M. But then when they lost to Middle Tennessee, then they got everyone's got nervous. And it was North Carolina and Duke. In the last three games, they got blown out by Florida State to 45 to three, Clemson 40 to 10, and Pitt 42 to 16. It's the worst season in 45 years. When Mayor Christopher played at Miami. He played five years. They've lost five games. This year, they've lost seven in, in one year. That's um, crazy. This is, the Pitt's biggest, this is the biggest win Pitt ever had against Miami. Miami led the series uh, 21 to three. And now uh, Miami has lost five home games this year. They haven't done that since 1962. And their average attendance of 45,000 is the lowest in like 20 some years. So really, really bad loss for Miami, really bad season for Miami. Um, and they, I, I mean, I would think that Cristobal, he gets one more year, but if they, if next year starts out bad, I don't think he's going to make it through next year. So it, it, even through the year, how'd the ACC finish up? Um, just again, just some things, 
uh, what I wanted to point out was that, you know, Syracuse started out great and they ended up being four and four. Uh, Pitt this year, up and down year at five and three. Uh, but I think that, you know, I think the Florida State being next, the key to understand about the ACC is that next year they're getting rid of the divisions. So the only teams that are going to have divisions are going to have the SEC and the Big Ten. You know, otherwise, when you don't, the way the other, they just take the first two. Could you imagine if Michigan Ohio State had to play again this week? That's why you, you sort of, they don't want to have division because they want to play back-to-back against each other. You know, that's what you're having. So they really only be the SEC and the, and the uh, Big Ten are going to have divisions next year with their conferences. Going to the Big Ten, your Penn State Nittany Lions had a nice win over Michigan State. You know what? I, I, they're ten and two. I mean, he's just what is a four and fifteen against Michigan Ohio State. James Franklin is. He beats everybody else, but can't beat Michigan Ohio State. Son Clifford, six year player, five years of the starter, eighty four touchdowns, thirty one interceptions for his career. Uh, Michigan State was. I, I thought the game was going to be a complete blow. Michigan State was missing almost half their team through suspensions and fights and injuries and everything like that. But uh, Penn State ten and two, and I, I mean, as someone who follows this, I don't know where they're going to go as in a bowl. Like I have no idea. They should be in a New Year's Six bowl. Um, and uh, but. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Like it'll be interesting to see. But again, I'm nervous about the Bulls this year because uh, I think the players. I think after the last two years, you're not going to see anybody who's going to go pro play in any of these bowl games. They're all going to go in. You're going to have a lot of. You know, the seniors aren't going to play. So it's almost like the. It's almost like the spring game for next year. But Penn State's going to be excited because Kayvon Allen and Nick Singleton, they're two freshman running backs, two freshmen. They both had another two good games, and they're going to be you know at Penn State for a couple more years. And and they they looked fantastic last this year, this past year. Anything else in the uh, Big Ten you want to discuss? Well, the big win was Nebraska beat Iowa. Now, Nebraska, Vicky Joseph was their interim coach. Matt Rule, when we know him from the Carolina, was hired there. But they beat him 24-17, and that knocked Iowa out of the Big Ten championship game. Otherwise, they'd be in there for Purdue beats Indiana. So Purdue goes in there. Purdue was going to play Michigan, probably get blown out by, you know, as a, their 17-point underdog. But that was a key aspect about that game in terms of – and then and the other thing about the Big Ten would be, you know, Maryland this year is improving. Like, you're starting to see the coaches that are being hired, like Matt Rule now. You know, we just saw that uh, – um, in Cincinnati, Luke Fickle was just hired at Wisconsin, uh, and uh, Matt Rule is now going to be at Nebraska. The coaching in the Big Ten has all stepped up, and uh, I, I think it's going to be, you know, I'm looking forward to next year. Brett Bielma's at Illinois his first year. He had a good year. It's going to be tough. I mean, you know, it just gets tougher and tougher in these big conferences. Um, Pac-10 here, Ira. Let's, uh, let's wrap this up. And Oregon, I don't know if you want to call it a disappointing season. I think Oregon wants to be in the, you know, the, the final four in the championship games every year. Not going to make it this year. Nine and three, they finished this one out. All Oregon had to do was win the game, and then they would play USC. They were up 31-10 late in the third quarter. They, it was a, a textbook on how to blow a game. They totally blew this entire game. They're 31-10. They fumbled the ball like three times. The Oregon State, you think, oh, they must have thrown that. All they did was run the ball. Oregon couldn't do anything. Complete and utter collapse on Oregon's part. And Oregon State's coach, Jonathan Smith, he took over Team 111 a couple of years ago. Now they're 9-3. and three. Huge turnaround. Like, this guy should be on the radar for anybody looking for a great coach. But just a terrible loss for Oregon. And that's set up because Utah beat Colorado. So they got in. And then Washington, it was a weird thing how it worked out. But Washington finished 10-2. and two. Michael Penix Jr., if that team, if they would have some game, they would have lost. If they were undefeated, he might have been the Heisman Trophy winner. He had 485 yards, three touchdowns, and he is a pro uh, prospect. I think he played himself this year into the first round. But uh, but that's why Utah, but Oregon, a terrible, terrible you know loss at the end of the year, uh, being up 31-10 and blow, uh, losing that. And the other thing to mention in the Pac-12 is that David Shaw, the longtime coach at Stanford, whose name was on the short list for pro and college jobs, after another disappointing year at Stanford, he wasn't fired. He just decided he was three and nine, decided to resign. He's only 50 years old. Expect to you know maybe stay out of here, do television, but come back somewhere because he was on everybody's short list to go into the NFL or to into college. 
Anything else in NCAA before we go to the pros? Just the UCF Florida game. UCF was up 28 nothing in the battle of I-4. This is to go for the American Conference. They ended up holding on. They, 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 South Florida took the lead yesterday scored. So UCF will now play Tulane. Tulane beat Cincinnati for the American Conference title. Now, this year, unlike last year, remember when Cincinnati was able to win and get into the Final Four because they were undefeated, there's, they each have losses. So really no one's going to jump on the head. So there's no – a non-Power 5 team doesn't really have a chance to get into the, uh, into the, uh, um, the playoffs. So, Ira, let's uh, shift gear. Ira, Ira on Sports Trollies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. NFL, I, I assume you'd, you'd been to uh, Cleveland before, you know, being an AFC North fan. You've probably been there a couple of times to watch uh, watch your Pittsburgh Steelers. But you were there. You've seen the Bucks probably more than than most Buccaneers fans have this year. Tell us about, you know, getting to this game. Well, you know what's so weird about this is that I, did, I was at the first game when they opened the stadium. Drew Carey. Came in and, and, and like, I remember it. Like, I think he was like, he parachuted down from something. I don't know how he did it. Some crazy thing. How he came in the stadium. I don't know if he parachuted. I just have this picture with a parachute. But I was there when they first opened first. And it's been how many different names has it been? But it's called First Energy Stadium now. But I was so lucky. My friend Terrell, but I'll give him a shout out to him. You know, he got us in a, in a suite. And it was great. The people in the suite were fantastic. There were former athletes in there. Terrell knows all the Brown players so on the wall. Everything is signed. It was fun to be in there in that suite because the weather was going to be terrible, rainy, and everything. Everything. So it was fun to, for that whole thing. And uh, some weird things at the game. So on the field, there was, the field was all cut up in certain spots because someone was able, you know, when Baker Mayfield was a progressive commercial where the, the code for the stadium is six, I think they didn't change the code because someone came <laughs> in the with a Ford 150 truck and rode around on the stadium. Could you imagine, like, we're not talking they took a little truck. They took an entire truck and ripped up the entire field. So that was one aspect of the state. You could see the tire marks that were still on the field. And then to add even craziness thing, in the middle of the game, you heard a rumor, fans were going nuts. There was a skunk in the stadium. Now, this is a fairly brand new stadium. And some of us, Skunk came in and he wanted to watch the Buccaneers and Browns play. And everyone's got a little nervous when they see a skunk in a stadium. So a lot of crazy things going on at this game. And, and the other weird thing is Jacoby Brissett won this amazing overtime game, but he knew going to the game, he's not going to be the quarterback anymore because Deshaun Watson is coming off his 11 game suspension. It didn't matter if Jacoby Brissett won 11 with 11 and 0, you're not going to give $250 million guaranteed to a quarterback. You trade away like a thousand draft picks and you're not going to start him a quarterback. So Jacoby was like, hey, I know what was going to happen. You know, I mean, we saw him in Miami. He's a great guy. But he was like, you know, it was a great win for him beating Tom Brady. He was Tom Brady's backup for many years at New England. But uh, but really, a, really a, 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 a big win for Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, a lot of people, this was like the sexy pick of the week for the everyone was on the box uh, minus three, I think it was, or three and a half. And it wasn't the case. And I mean, is it time to put Todd Bowles on the hot seat? I mean, they're still probably going to win this division. But this team doesn't look anything like we thought they were going to. You know, the hard thing about this game was it was the the Brown, you know, the Browns went down, double reverse touchdown, Bucks made it, you know, seven seven, and they each kicked the field goal. And then it was like the rest of the game was punting. I mean, it was ten ten, and then the Bucks scored at the beginning, you know, uh, in the second half they scored a touchdown, made it seventeen ten, and you're like, okay, everything's fine. But after that, the Bucks went on four drives. They had one first down. They had yards of four, 32, seven, and minus 10. The Browns had four drives and punted the whole time, too. So it was like they're up 17-10, and then uh, they get it on their, you know, their last drive, Tampa had with 235 left with a 17-10 lead. 
And Brady got a pass incomplete. Then he got sacked. They had to punt the ball. Like, again, it's like the that they had the ball with 235 left with a lead of seven. I think it's the first time he was with a lead like that. I think seven points at under like five minutes of the game. He was, Brady was like 200 something and nothing. Like, it was like a crazy stat. And the Browns get the ball in the final two minutes and they run the ball twice. They mess around. They don't know it. They finally get it down. It's like fourth and 10 on the 12. And Brissett throws the end zone. And I'm like, oh, that's incomplete. And David Njoku catches with his left hand when he's right handed you know, catches this ball and scores, and they kick this extra point, tie it up. So now it goes to overtime. And then uh, and then also Tampa was left. The issue was that while they were trying to score, Tampa should have left themselves more time for a field goal, which they did, and they didn't call a timeout. So that was, that was a question mark. And then in overtime, you know, Tampa had the ball twice in overtime and couldn't score. So they, you know, they, it was just a disaster. Tampa's went the last seven possessions they had with no points. Forget about touchdowns with no points. You know, at one point, Brady was like 20 for 21 in the game. They ended up 29 for 43, two touchdowns, no interceptions. But uh, at the end, you know, the Browns came down uh, on the last one, and, and uh, it was they threw a pass that Carlton Davis slipped. And the sorts of Mari Cooper, who they knocked him out of the three-yard line, and they ran it in. You know, they almost ran it. It could have been a tie. Like, at one point, at the end of that first, at the end of the overtime, I'm thinking this is probably going to be a tie. No team can move it. And when Carlton Davis slipped and let Cooper go down there, that sort of, uh, you know, set it up for them to run it in for a touchdown with, I think, like 20, 25 seconds to go to win the game. But it's a bad loss for Tampa. I thought at worst, at worst, at first of all, you thought they were won the game with if New Joker drops it. And at worst, you thought they were going to have a tie and then to lose that game. But there's still a half a game in head in their division. So I'm not ready to write the book. I, I still think they're going to get their act together. Rashard White, their running back, uh, Leonard Fournette was out, their rookie running back, played great. I mean, he's really, he adds so much to their offense. Chris Godwin had 10 catches, 120 yards. He looked like he was playing better. I just, it just, it's not coming together. I mean, I just don't know. I think they'll figure it out, though. I'm, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to go down with the Tampa Bay ship uh, as a, you know, that's a big ship in that stadium. I think I'll be on that ship when it goes down because I'm not so like, I think they still have a chance I, with Brady and with this team. There's too many talented players for them. I still think they have a chance for the Super Bowl. Houston and Miami and Houston basically is fielding, you know, like a, a JV team at this point, but you got to beat the teams on your schedule. Miami gets another win. You got to give Miami credit for this game. They knew they were a big favorite. Houston comes in, they're starting Kyle Allen. What does Miami do? They don't just mess around. They're like, okay, 30 to nothing, call it a day, let's put two out. Like, I got to give them, they really jumped out and took that lead. Um, and two had almost 300 yards passing, like the first half alone with Waddle and Hill. They scored Miami. Do you notice this every single game? They scored six out of their first seven possessions. They're amazing. I mean, it's someone like Fantasy, why Tua, you know, they, they mentioned the whole thing. You know, what you'd be concerned about is that Taron Armstrong got hurt. Tua got sacked a couple times after he went out of the game. Miami only got Got 66 yards rushing. You know, you thought they were up 30 to nothing. They could just run the clock out. They didn't run really well. Mostart was hurt, did run. But I mean, this is nitpicking at this point. Miami's eight and three. They're eight and zero with Tua. Their offense looks absolutely unstoppable, and their defense looks great. So, um, but I, I again, I like the fact that when you're playing a bad team like this, how many times do we see this in the NFL today? Oh, let the, you know, let these teams hang around. They just want to just end the game in the first half. Love that. It was a very, very impressive first half. You're following at home. You're just every time you look up, they're scoring again. Very exciting. Only a couple of minutes left, Ira. Let's go back to Thanksgiving, though. I don't think anybody anticipated Buffalo and Detroit being the game of the day, but it was. What a, what a super exciting game. And I'll tell you what, Josh Allen, everyone's criticizing him. Uh, anyone who wants to criticize Josh Allen, just sit there and watch the game. Like, okay, he throws some passes. He might not like some of his interceptions, but he, he runs it. <laughs> he had 253 yards passing, two touchdowns. He had 10 carries for 80 yards and a touchdown. Um, he has now has 162 touchdowns in his first five years. 
second only to Dan Marino in the history of the NFL. So everybody's ready to say Josh Allen is, has all these problems. All the problems that Josh Allen has, I don't know if there's I – think, I think most NFL quarterbacks would want to have his problems. And Amon St. Brown for Detroit is tremendous. I'm on my fantasy team. He played great. And they got Jamison Williams, who was a star wide receiver for Alabama. I like – Detroit had won three in a row coming to this game. You really got to like what's happening uh, at uh, Dan Campbell, what the job he's done with Detroit. And, and it, was, it, was a, it was a great game. I, I shouldn't give the score. Uh, Buffalo won 28-25. Tyler Bass hit a – they kicked a field goal at the end of the game. The most difficult GM job right now after the season is if you're Detroit's GM. What do you do? John, Jared Goff's not playing terrible. Uh, Dan Campbell, the guy, he can't, he's going he's gonna to pick, you know, top eight yet again, usually top three, but he's getting wins now. He's turned the team around. It's like, do you fire this guy? Do you get rid of Jared Goff? Who knows? But it's tough decisions in Detroit. Giants and Cowboys. And this was one I didn't expect the Giants to look very good. I they were missing their entire offensive line, all their receivers, and Dallas did what they had to do to uh, put the beat down on them. Aren't you getting nervous with the Giants a little bit? They started to lose games. I just think I think that they are the mirage. Like almost, I, they, 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 like, Saquon Barkley is not Superman. He's very good, but he's not Superman. He just can do everything himself. And the score was sort of you know the Cowboys had that lead, but. Uh, I, I thought Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb, you know, they got a lot of criticism. I mean, they, they looked pretty good in this game. They, they played well. And you like how Dallas is rounding in the form. I mean, the teams like Dallas and Minnesota and Philadelphia and San Francisco, you're starting to get a sense of where the NFC is right now. And I just don't think the Giants are in that level. Now there's, you know, five, six more games to go. But, again, I think the Giants are what we thought they were coming this season. I, I, but, you know, I, we'll see, you know, we'll see what could happen. But I, I just think that they, uh, you know, they, they definitely were, did not play well in that, in that game. Rounding out Thanksgiving, another solid game here, Minnesota and New England. Kirk Cousins, you know, they say he can't win in primetime, win big games, but he got this one. Yeah. Everybody criticizes Kirk Cousins. <laughs> he gets criticized constantly. Like, everything. 30, he can't win, you know, primetime games. 30 for 37, 300 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, and uh, Justin Jefferson. I mean, anybody who hasn't been watching Justin Jefferson play, I, nine catches, 139 yards, one amazing catch after another. Um, he's now had 100 yards in 21 of his 44 games, almost half his all games. He has more yards receiving Brooke Randy Moss's record than any receiver in the history of the NFL in their first three years. And, uh, and you know, New England, it was – they didn't have to allow, what, three points in two games, and, in, and, and Minnesota put 33 on them. The Minnesota had, uh, in the first half, 250 yards. That was, like, more than New England had in the previous two games that they gave up. But uh, New England just, you know, they, they tried. It was a good game. But I, I think everyone is not – Minnesota had two bad losses. Minnesota lost to Philadelphia. Minnesota lost to Dallas. Got blown out both games. But I think what I learned from those games are, is like, if, you, if they had the wrong, wrong scheme coming in, they go out. But the other games, they won. I, I like Minnesota a lot. Like, I think Minnesota goes Super Bowl. So I'm not ready to say, oh, they have no chance. They have no chance. They just were not ready for Philadelphia and Dallas. If they play them again, I'm just guaranteed they're going to play that. Yeah, the defense is a little suspect, but nothing to worry about on the offensive side uh, for Minnesota. Cincinnati and Tennessee, a, a lot of people like Tennessee in this game, and it made sense. No Jamar Chase, no no Joe Mixon for Cincinnati, but Cincinnati did what they had to, to do to get an ugly win. Mike Bravel has this great coach at Tennessee. He wins everything. But, you know, he I didn't realize this. He's lost five out of six games against Tennessee. I mean, so he it just – but uh, Cincinnati, they don't have to shut down uh, Derrick Henry. He only had 17 carries for 38 yards. He had that long pass you saw, that 69 yards. But Joe Burrow is rounding in the form. I mean, look, I'm starting to like Cincinnati, too. I mean, in the division, with Baltimore losing to Jacksonville, Cincinnati winning, you're starting to see this 
turn, you know, like sort of like going to the home stretch and you see that you're like in a horse race and you see like San Francisco now passing Seattle, Cincinnati, getting there with Baltimore. You're like, okay, that's what we thought was going to happen. You know, now we see the turn what's happening with these games. And I think that's what Cincinnati, you know, as Joe Burrow and his appendicitis uh, before when the season started was it's not feeling well. They lose that crazy Steeler game. And now they don't have Joe Mixon. They don't have Chase and they're still winning games. They're they're rounding into form, and especially if their offensive line starts protecting Burrow, which is it seems like they're doing much better now than they did earlier in the season. The Mike White era has begun in New York. The Jets bench Zach Wilson and look like it was the right move. I, I, I got to think Zach Wilson might be the most unpopular player I can imagine. I just, I don't, I don't know what he's going to do. I mean, I just think, you know, I, I, again, I, I'm sort of someone who looks at things like, you know, glass half full, glass half empty type of person, but boy, they didn't like him. Mike White comes in there, throws three touchdowns, 315 yards. Um, they win, they beat Chicago. I, I didn't, th- I thought they were going to kill Chicago. Sure, had Justin Fields out. Trevor, you know, Simeon is their quarterback. who is like, the, you know, he's going to lose every game. And Chicago's not that good anyway. So, but uh, Mike White comes in there. Now he's a coach. You know, he's the quarterback of the Jets. And Zach Wilson, their number two pick in the draft. I Look, you know he's not going to get. And unless Mike White gets hurt. And I think if Mike White gets hurt, they're going to go to Flacco. They won't go to Zach Wilson either. So, I, I think Zach Wilson's done. I really do. I don't think he's coming back this year. I think that seems like the team likes Mike White. Certainly the fans, the media, everything. I just don't know. I mean, you're, I, I just don't see it happen with Zach Wilson. He, I think he needs to – they should trade him. You know what? They should trade him now, like next year, like before the season starts, because I just think it's not a good spot for him. He should go somewhere else to be a quarterback and not just sit there and sort of like did with Josh Rosen with uh, Arizona when they got rid of Kyle Murray, but I, I don't think they should keep Zach there. Only a couple of minutes left here, Ira. Let's talk a little well, – Carolina – Looking pretty good, and Denver once again just looks like they do. Carson Wentz has more touchdown passes than Russell Wilson, and he's missed the last five weeks. So something's really wrong in Denver. Why are we talking about a three and eight against a four and eight team? Because Carolina beats Denver. Because I'll tell you what, every I can't tell you how people I saw Denver going to Super Bowl. Like they were Kansas City, they were going to beat the LA Chargers, they were going to beat the Buffalo Bills. They were the team, and they and Russell. I can't ever remember expectations like this is this is like worse than the Miami Hurricane expectations. I mean, Russell Wilson has been horrendous. He gets in a fight with his linebacker on the on the sideline. They're three and eight. He only threw for 142 yards. Um, Denver's problem was this: is that they were in the middle of an ownership change when this all happened. The Bolin family put the team up for auction. The, the Walmart family here, Ron Walton, you know, bought the team, and they were in the midst of that. And so decisions were being made. But I think you know, like that's why. But Nathaniel Hackett is clearly, if there's ever a coach that should be fired immediately, it's him. Like this is this is malpractice. Like what he's doing with his team. Like just get just fire him and put somebody in. Like this is ludicrous to keep. I can't. But I think because of the ownership change, they're not firing him quick enough. But he clearly, this is a mess, and this team is far too talented to be three and eight. And, and if Russell Wilson, like if this doesn't work out, they have so much invested with him in draft picks. I mean, all those draft picks that are going to go to Seattle, Seattle is going to have like all of the draft picks for Denver the next five years. Plus Denver's paying Wilson all this money, $250 million. Baltimore and Jacksonville. And this was one, I don't know what Baltimore does in the locker room because in the second half, their defense is just never there. And this might've been Trevor Lawrence's signature win here with a great game winning drive. You know me. I have said that I love Trevor Lawrence. I like Doug Peterson at Jacksonville. I think they've had some tough losses. Four, their 4-7 four and seven is not everyone else's 4-7. and seven. I like this team a lot. I like the players, and I love Trevor Lawrence as, as a quarterback. And he had a, you know, that right, 20 for 37, 300 yards, three touchdowns. 
two, a game-winning drive. Then he throws the two-point you know, conversion to, to Zay Jones. They end up winning it. Could you imagine if uh, Baltimore had a chance to win the game, Justin Tucker had a 67-yard field goal, which is he holds the record at 66 to break it. He misses it but by an inch to win the game. But again, it's like, boy, Baltimore, there's something – there's something with them in these second halves, and, and I just, you know, I just, I'm not sure. I mean, I just, they, they just, it, it, they're, they are, you know, they're, they're a mess. You know, you saw what happened against the Miami game. Like they just, they're, they get discombobulated with these leads, and you think they're the, they're the they used to be the perfect team with the lead. Take a lead, they're going to run out, then they, they can't hold leads anymore. I really want to wrap up some of the other important NFL games. Yeah, I just would I just would mention that the Chiefs rolled over the Rams. I, if anyone turned that game on and, and remember that with 2018 we talked about the Rams when they won 54-51 it was one of the most highly anticipated games. Uh, the Chiefs, I mean the Rams, uh, their quarterback was uh, was Bryce Perkins. Uh, they have no wide receivers, no linemen. They literally pulled out uh, like a USFL football team there, and the Chiefs end up winning that game. The 49ers, they 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 won 13 to nothing. And this, I just want to mention them because they haven't given up a point in 94 minutes. Their offense is loaded with so many players, from Debo Samuel to Greg Kittle to McCaffrey, Christian Appleby, and I wrote Elijah Mitchell. They, you know, they are going to be, they look, they can't get their offense going. Their defense is great. They should be the prohibitive favorite to win the Super Bowl if they could finally get this offense working with Kyle Shanahan working. And then the Monday, the Sunday night game, Philadelphia over Green Bay. I mean, what do we have to say more? Aaron Rodgers, you know, with a mask, got hurt, uh, this and that. Jalen Hurts runs all over Green Bay, the defense. I mean, Green Bay and Buffalo, Green Bay and Denver are the two most disappointing teams of the year. Oh, without a doubt. Goes without saying. World Cup is on, Ira. USA, they looked good against England. And a, a, a draw doesn't always get it done, but they were the better team that entire game. And now they're backs are against the wall. They need to get a win here versus Iran. What's your take so far on World Cup? I know you've been following. I've been watching it, and it's great. It's great to watch in the middle of the afternoon. I mean, Argentina losing was crazy. Uh, that you know, it seems like some of these teams have had those early losses. But uh, look, this Iran, the, 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 the bitter political rivals, you know, in terms of their enemies, it's the United States enemies, Iran, it's the enemy forever. And but you know, Iran had that two nothing win over Wales when they scored, and that was crazy. And so I just think the United States, you could see it, but you watch these matches, and they're close and they're tight. And America does seem to play a little conservative. And if I, if Iran can get some goals, I mean, they're out. Like this is a, this is a, this is a. This game tomorrow at two, it, it, you talk about all or nothing. Like, if they win, if people are going to say, oh, United States, they got to the knockout round, the round of 16, everything's okay, even if they lose. If they lose to Iran, it's a disaster. I mean, this is like going back to the square zero, whatever. This would be like the worst. As bad as not making into the last World Cup. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this would be the end. So so you talk about, and there's all this pressure on them. Like these players have to feel this pressure. They're the America. They have 400 million people. I mean, again, just the whole concept of of a a win or go home type of of, of game. So look, I'll be watching the game tomorrow too. It's a big game. We here at Ira on Sports, Ira, myself, and the Robes Law Group want to send you to see an FAU basketball game. Get the VIP treatment absolutely free. Go to trueoldiesfla.com. Join us for FAU basketball all season long, uh, presented by the Robes Law Group, trueoldiesfla.com. Ira, obviously, you're in Indy. Any other plans for this week? Oh, yeah, coming up, SEC Championship game on Saturday, and then the Steelers play the Falcons on Sunday in Atlanta, so I'll be in both places. So I'll get to see that. And, and I want to make one prediction. I think Aaron Judge is going to the San Francisco Giants. I think, I think so, too. At any moment now, but I, I just have this feeling he's not going to the Yankees. I just, I, I just want to make that prediction. So when he signs with the Yankees, everyone can say I'm wrong. But I think Aaron Judge is going to sign. And I think it's going to be soon. I think it's not going to last. It's not going to drag on. I think it'll be the next couple of weeks he might sign with the San Francisco Giants. You're stabbing me in the... He wants to go home, and uh, I think they want him. And I, I think if he was going to sign with the Yankees, he would, it would already be done. I agree with you. And you're stabbing me in the heart by saying it, but I, I'm with you. I, I think he's heading home to the West Coast. Grew up a 
Giants fan. Family lives there. It makes sense. And they're going to probably pay him, you know, for 10 years. And four of those, he's going to do absolutely nothing. But that's what you get when you sign a superstar. We're out of time, though. Ira's, <laughs> Ira's not here. He's getting ready to head over to the Indianapolis Colts, take on his Pittsburgh Steelers. We're out of time, though. Like I said, on behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports.